A former minister responsible for the robo-debt scheme has told a royal commission into the program that he was not responsible for its legality. The 2015 program used an algorithm to work out whether Centrelink recipients had been overpaid but unlawfully claimed almost $2 billion in payments from, from 433,000 people. Alan Tudge, who was Human Services Minister from 2016 to 2017, says despite potential issues with the automated debt recovery scheme, he did not raise questions. I was aware that the system, even from an income averaging perspective, had the potential to create inaccuracies. That's Alan Tudge there. Rick Morton is a senior reporter with the Saturday paper and he's been at today's hearing. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Sarah. Rick, we've previously heard evidence of legality concerns dating back to before the scheme was introduced. Did we hear any evidence today as to how Alan Tudge responded when legal concerns were repeatedly raised during his term? Yeah, we've heard quite a bit of evidence and it was essentially that he expected his department would have done something about it had they learned of any legal concerns, including at an administrative law conference where one of the most eminent barristers on this subject, Peter Silk, uh, sorry, Peter Hank, uh, QC at the time, KC now, gave a speech saying that RoboDebt had to be illegal based on some pretty simple arithmetic um, and apparently nothing was done as a result of that, even though the Secretary and the Chief Counsel of the Department of Human Services, uh, Catherine Campbell and Annette Mussolino, were at that conference. So... Alan Tudge is essentially saying, my department probably should have done something. That would have been his expectation. It wasn't just internal concerns, though. Questions of legality were also raised in the media during his time in that portfolio. Why didn't he question the model himself? Did he provide any answers? Yeah, they were, I mean, look, my personal view is that they weren't very satisfactory answers, but to be fair to him, uh, you know, he was the first human services minister to really be in that job while this thing started to fall apart, at least in the public eye. So he was actually on holidays um, overseas in the United Kingdom with his family. Um, There's a little bit of media that was building before he took off in December. Um, but then when he was overseas, there was just story after story after story. People on social media were sharing their own accounts of how they'd been given incorrect debts or been hit with debts that they just couldn't possibly have ever racked up. Um, and it got to the point, actually, we've got evidence um, submitted to the commission where Malcolm Turnbull spoke to Alan Tudge and said, you need to come home. Um, Malcolm Turnbull was Prime Minister at the time. So Alan, uh, Alan Tudge cut short his holiday. He, he arrived back into Melbourne, flew directly to Canberra and then had a series of meetings every other day with the most senior officials in his department until the end of January. And still, despite all of that, the focus seems to have been on the online element of what they called the online compliance intervention, which was that maybe there were some IT issues um, and some problems with the way the letters were worded. But nobody seems to have gone to the issue, including the central issue, which is that income averaging of annual ATO data used on welfare payments that are assessed fortnightly could never come up with an accurate debt if someone had uneven income throughout the year. And that just didn't seem to get raised. Minister, uh, well, Mr Tudge, sorry, he's no longer the minister, said it was at the time up to the department and not him to establish the legality of the scheme, as we mentioned before. When he said that, what was the response from council assisting? I mean, it was, it was, but they essentially asked him, are you familiar with the concept of ministerial 
responsibility and accountability. Was he, was, was he familiar? Well, yes and no. He said he's broadly familiar with the Westminster system, uh, which one would hope, having been a Minister of the Crown, uh, and that he was aware that ultimately, of course, the Minister does have to accept this responsibility. But if you were asking him, this is his words, if Council Assisting Justin Gregory was asking me whether I'm responsible for a senior person in my department, not having a discussion with a senior person in another department, that is social services, then no, he doesn't accept he was responsible for that. Right. He referred to the income averaging, which we discussed, uh, which was previously used as far back as the 1990s. That's the same argument deployed by Scott Morrison during his evidence to this Royal Commission last year, isn't it? Yes, it is. In fact, Scott Morrison went on such a tangent trying to take everyone back, I think, at one point to 1984, and the commissioner said, please don't. <laughs> I don't want to go on that excursion with you. Uh, there, there is a, this is a central concern in this commission is that there seems to have been a view that income averaging was used going back decades, um, and it is true in the sense that it was used as a last resort when there was literally no other information available and that Centrelink had not had already used its powers of compulsion and discovery to try and find pay slips and bank statements and employer um, severance notifications and things like that that would actually explain um, a customer's record. Um, now, what this new system was doing, was, of course, was completely putting the onus of proof on the customer, on the Centrelink recipient, um, and asking them to do the job of the Commonwealth. Um, that's what was different, and... It was also not legal in the sense that you need to have evidence for a debt because they were using these, you know, income averaging to come up with a flag essentially on a customer's file. They they use the word customer, I hate it, but I'm just using what they use. Fair. To come up with a flag and say, Oh, they might have a debt. But the the problem was the letters they sent those customers, Centrelink recipients, never actually said, if you don't come back to us, even though you've reported your income, it. that's my Siri watch, I'm sorry. <laughs> They said, if you don't come back to us, even though we've um, you've already reported your income, what they never explained was that we are going to average what you have reported and what we've got from the ATO. And pure mathematical reason would tell you that that would probably lead to an, an incorrect figure, which would have prompted a lot of people to be like, hang on a second. But of course, as it was, there was no call to action. Mm. So people got these letters and they didn't respond. Why would you? There was no reason for them to. Well, bubbling away under all of this is the question of why, why they did this in the first place. The Commission has heard evidence of conversations between the then Minister and the then Finance Minister, Matthias Cormann, where the latter asked if RoboDebt could claw back additional savings. How did Mr Tudge respond when asked if he was pressured to deliver additional savings? Yeah, well, I mean, he, I mean, he accepted the facts, which was that he did have that discussion with Minister Cormann. In fact, he puts that in his statement to the Commission and, and dutifully, as a junior minister, went away to his department and said, what can we do? Do we have any other options to claw back additional money? And this is in the context of 2016 and they're coming up to a federal election. And this is really interesting, the way Justin Gregory with the Royal Commission Senior Council Assisting was tying all of this together, saying, you've got the finance minister saying, hey, what can we do? You go and ask your department. Your department sends you a brief with all of the options. In fact, they're set out as what they call new policy proposals. You don't necessarily know that that's not going to go to the budget that year, but what ends up happening is that those policy proposals delivered by the department are used as coalition election promises in the, I think it's June 2016 election, federal election, which then having one government and coming back in as minister again, uh, Justin Gregory asked Alan Tudge, were you then expected to deliver on those savings that you had promised? 
an election. He says, well, they weren't, um, they hadn't gone to cabinet yet. So no. And, and Justin Gregory said, well, what about when they went to cabinet? Were you then expected? And he said, well, of course, I'd have to do my job. Mm. If you've just joined us, Rick Morton uh, has is speaking with me. He has come back from early from holidays, I believe, to cover <laughs> the Royal Commission into the Robo Debt. Yes. Charity. Thank you for your service, Rick Morton, uh, <laughs> and for speaking to us here on RN Drive. Alan Tudge was questioned about lines attributed to him um, that debts dating back to 2000 could be clawed back under the program. He's denied that. What was behind that line of questioning? Yeah, well, I mean, I think that was actually, and I could be getting this wrong because my head is so in the details, but that was really a discussion when they were wondering what more they could do as per that request from Matthias Cormann, the finance minister, to get more savings from welfare compliance. So welfare compliance is a broad bucket, right, and they can do many different things. But one thing that they were already doing was this first iteration of robo-debt. And, you know, on the numbers they had available to them at the time, which, of course, we now know were basically faked and we're never going to deliver what they said they were going to deliver. But it looked like a cash cow. It looked like the golden goose. And so they thought, actually, as it's currently set up, we're going back six years to 2010, 2011 financial year to get, you know, historical debts discovered and then repaid. What if we could go back to year 2000? Now, Alan Tudge says he has no memory at all of ever asking if they could go back to 13 years from that point. But what they did do was... Um, reform a new policy proposal. In fact, I think they put this in the budget, which was to extend the program by two years to essentially make sure that when time moved on, the window of six years that they had in order they could go back six years kept moving. So by the time, for example, if you got to 2017, you could still be going back to 2012, 2013 without that statute of limitations because there was a statute of limitations on when you could, how far back you could go. Mm. And get it. So it was a very real option that was discussed and, and proposed within the department, but not as we could, as far as we can tell, there were only initial discussions um, floated in an email between Department of uh, Human Services employees and the Australian Taxation Office about the minister having an interest in going back to two thousand. It's so complex. Thank you so much it for breaking that sorry. down for us, Rick Morton. I saw someone on Twitter referring to this as their favourite 345-hour podcast, um, these <laughs> hearings. So uh, we are very pleased to have you with us to, uh, you know, break it down for us. Thank you. I'm doing my best. Thanks so much. Rick Morton is a senior reporter with The Saturday Paper. Stream any ABC radio station live and on the go. Discover new podcasts, music and audiobooks, all free on the ABC Listen app.